Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com slash careers. That's opcpest.com slash careers. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. now for The Drive with Mark Ennis, presented by Fitness Market on 93.9 The Ville. Fitness Market is Louisville's premier location for home and commercial fitness equipment and electric bikes. Find them online at thefitnessmarket.com. Now here's Mark Ennis. Welcome back into The Drive here on 93.9 The Ville. Mark Ennis here on a Thursday Happy to be joined by Matt Fortuna, who is a wonderful uh, college football newsletter. I highly recommend it uh, to you. The Inside Zone does a great job, especially with kind of like the, your macro issues around all of uh, college football. And Matt, I appreciate you joining us here. Uh, we've got two states suing the NCAA. Uh, we have Florida State suing the ACC. Uh, we have a conference with two teams in it. Is uh, We got coaches leaving for coordinator jobs in the NFL. Is, is college football okay? Yeah, no shortage of macro issues, right? Is that what you're talking yeah. about, Mark? I, yeah. I can't think of anything other than that, right? Uh, and that's just on the 1st of February. So the, the relatively <laughs> quiet time of the year is keeping us busy, that's for sure. All right, let's 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 start with uh, with Halfley uh, and this uh, this decision to head to the NFL uh, and, and as a coordinator. I think that's maybe the part that catches some folks off guard. Obviously, people going to the NFL uh, is, is not new uh, or noteworthy, but – Leaving a head coaching job in a Power Five or whatever position for a, a coordinator job in the league, a lot of people looking at this like, hey, the life we're asking college coaches to lead, especially at places that aren't just awash in resources and such, uh, is probably not sustainable. Is that what this is, or are people reading too much into it? No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Mark, and I think, look, I, I don't think this means, oh, my God, look, every college coach is going to jump to the NFL the first chance they get. I don't think it's that simple, but – you know, two years ago, right around that first year of, of NIL and portal and when things really started to, the train really started to get off the tracks, for, for, for lack of a better term, uh, I drove down to the Combine in Indianapolis. Uh, I surveyed a half dozen or so NFL coaches who had worked in college. And I said, you know, it's all anonymous, but uh, tell, tell me about your lifestyle now. Tell me about your day. What's it like not recruiting, not worrying about 18 and 22-year-olds, yada, yada, yada. And it turned into the story of essentially, I'm never going back to college, you know, if I have the option between one or the other. The, the only way I go back to college is to be a head coach or maybe a coordinator at a big school because the programs, the, 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 the pay at those positions are higher than what they are at the NFL. But, but lately, that's not necessarily the case, right? I mean, we saw Sean Payton get hired by the Broncos last year for about $18 million per year, which is significantly more than anyone in college is making. Jim Harbaugh is reportedly making $16 million a year at the Chargers, which is more than anyone's making in college. And in Jeff Hafley's case, 
I don't think he'll be making more money as the defense coordinator of the Packers than he was at BC, where he's making a little more than $3 million per year. But it's close enough, right? I mean, the cost of living in northern Wisconsin versus the cost of living in suburban Boston and the lifestyle change, right? I mean, this is a guy with an NFL background. This is a guy who's made a bowl game in three of his four years at BC, but who still, you know, for much of the year, felt like he was on the hot seat or close to it, right? Now, BC opens on Labor Day night next year at Florida State. I'm willing to bet whoever's coaching BC will lose that game by a lot of points. And if it was Jeff Hafley back for year five, he probably would have been fighting an uphill battle, at least in the public perceptions department, all year long. Whereas he goes to Green Bay, if he has a good year on that side of the ball, who's to say he's not an NFL head coaching candidate at this time next year? So uh, the calculus is just very different right now. Uh, Matt, on the, the I guess the, the Boston College side of this, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier. It, it seems like with the portal, and especially being past the window where you can get people, but when you have a coach leave, you can now lose people. Is it is it accurate to say that basically coaching changes now at least have the potential every single time to be totally catastrophic? The potential, yeah. And I think, and I wrote this last week when Trill Moore got promoted at Michigan, which I think we all mostly expected. Uh, you could argue, and again, depending on where you are in this country and the way you look at the sport, you could argue at least brand-wise, like fan base-wise, the three biggest brands are Michigan, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. All three of those schools did not have coaching search last time around. They all promoted from within immediately. Ohio State and Michigan lost national champion coaches, and Notre Dame lost the winningest coach in school history, and they all promoted from within without a search. Now, I, I, I think you'll see more and more of that. We, we've seen some of that elsewhere, and we've seen it in basketball too, right, with Carolina and Duke and some of the other blue bloods around the country. I, I just think in this day and age, with the pressure that athletic directors and presidents are under, with the, the lack of patience that fan bases and, and, and the money men have in this business, uh, people don't want that negative headline. People don't want uh, that uncertainty or that slow build. I mean, look, it's an extreme case. He figured whenever Nick Saban left Alabama, they would not be in as good of a position as they were with him. But I, I think Alabama got more negative press and more negative headlines in the last two weeks since, since the portal opened when Saban left than they did probably in the last 10 years under Nick Saban, right? And again, that was yeah. going to be the case regardless of who they hired because you're replacing a living legend. They hired, in my opinion, the best available coach on the market in Kalen DeBoer, a guy who's won big everywhere he's been, and they're still getting killed, at least in the perception department. I think that will come around particularly at the end of the spring when the portal window opens back up. But I, I, I think we're in a win-now kind of society. Uh, we're in a, a pressurized situation where a lot of the people making the hires probably don't have the bandwidth or the runway to, to maybe make a risk or make a long-term play when it comes to, to making a hire. And I think you're seeing a business that's already risk-averse as is become even, you know, maybe a little harder to, to stomach risks, you know, in the future just because of the timeline and timetable that the sport is at right now. Is it the right thing? I don't know. I mean, it felt like USC did this when they promoted Clay Helton, and that was such a, a disaster that everyone thought, well, don't just hire the guy the players want because that's, short, that's short-term thinking, but it seems we've gone the other way pretty quickly here. Uh, how catastrophic, just to, to follow along with that, or how you know difficult, how much more difficult, how big of a loss is it if it is the case that uh, the reports out uh, that, that Ryan Grubb might not be coming with Kalen DeBoer to Alabama after all, might be headed to the Seahawks with Mike McDonald there. How, how much further, I guess, sort of behind will that put Kalen DeBoer there at Alabama? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting, right? I think, you know, that's a fan base that's used to winning big, right? At least this generation, right? There's a, a lifetime of Alabama fans that know nothing but competing annually for national championships, and they're going to expect that to continue next year. You know, I thought it was pretty telling. Uh, after the Rose Bowl, uh, Aaron Suttles, our, our friend who now runs the, the media department for EA Alabama, their collective, put out kind of a call-to-action video after they lost to Michigan, saying, you know, here's how we keep our players, here's how we get players, donate now. And Alabama really got, you know, a lot of bad PR for that. And I was talking to some people around the program, some people who cover the program, and like, look, this is just a fan base that's not used to NIL. They don't love it yet. Uh, They've been getting the best players without NIL, so to ask them to to pony up, to essentially keep up with the Joneses, it's just behavior they're not used to yet. It's kind of acquired taste. And they're going to have to get used to that, Mark. I mean, they might have gotten a bit of a discount when Nick Saban was there because you might be able to say, hey, you're going to learn from the greatest coach of all time. But now that he's not there, you know, they're not going to be getting any players on a bargain, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's like anywhere else now. They, they've got to pony up and do everything it takes to get these five-star recruits or these high-profile transfers because they have a lot of options elsewhere and a lot of money to be made elsewhere as well. So you throw in the fact that there's a new coach there right now. The portal window is what it is. You know, Ryan Grubbs is a phenomenal play caller, phenomenal offensive coordinator. There's a reason he went down there with Kalen DeBoer to Alabama. If he were to leave a couple weeks later go to the NFL, I'm sure it's Alabama, right? I'm sure they'd hire someone really good, but the time frame is is a little more difficult right now. They probably have to pay a little bit more than than they would have, you know, if this happened in December. And it's another week or or several days of uncertainty and, and, and potential, you know, window to poach those players who are still very much available for the next couple of weeks after Nick Saban left Alabama. We're talking with Matt Fortuna. does a wonderful uh, newsletter, The Inside Zone here. Uh, Matt, which which of the new coaches in those situations, Jed Fish sliding in at Washington, Kalen DeBoer at Alabama, Sharon Moore stepping into the role uh, at Michigan, three of the four playoff teams, new head coaches uh, now, which of them do you feel like does the best job over the next five years? Yeah, Mark, it's fun. just to belabor our point, right? 26 years of the BCS and 14 college football playoff, we've never seen a coach leave after making either field. And this year we saw three of the four leave, wow. including both finalists. Uh, yeah, Steve Sarkeesian, the only one staying at Texas. Who does the best out of those uh, three? I, I, I want to say Kalen DeBoer because he's got the most proven track record and he's over 100 games, over 500, and he's won big everywhere he's been. I, I just wonder how much patience, if you will, or how forgiving the Alabama fan base will be after Nick Saban, right? I mean, it's a 12-team playoff era. I don't think it's unreasonable to think the Crimson Tide should at the very least compete, if not make the college football playoff every year in this era, regardless of who's coaching them. Is that going to be enough, though? Because it's going to be harder to win a national championship. you got to win more big games than you did before in order to complete that journey. So I'll go with the bore. I just wonder, you know, are Alabama fans going to feel the same way? Uh, three, four, or five years from now, if he doesn't have multiple national championships, the way Nick Saban probably would. Yeah, listen, I'll just let you know something somewhat analogous here. For, I think, 48 years, Louisville's two basketball coaches were two of the best that have ever coached, back-to-back, and then not them after that, and it gets very hard to watch. You get very spoiled very quickly when you're like, oh, I know what like the best you can possibly do looks like, and we're, we're not near that. It can be rough, so it, good luck. It's something to miss with the basketball program there, Mark. I, I don't know if you've heard. 
We're talking again uh, with, with Matt Fortuna here. Uh, Matt, who do you think stands to benefit most from Nick Saban finally being out of college football? Uh, probably everyone else in the SEC. Um, I look Anyone in particular, like though? Kelly. Yeah, I'll look at a guy like Brian Kelly. Now, look, you can look at this one of two ways, right? Uh, Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the SEC, so it's going to be more difficult than it was before. And, again, the 12-team playoffs is going to make it harder to win a national championship. This is a guy who did everything except win a national championship at Notre Dame. He's the winningest coach in Notre Dame's history. Uh, he's the winningest active coach in FBS football right now. And his stated reason for leaving Notre Dame and essentially ruining his legacy at one of the most famous programs in the country was to win a national championship, which he felt was easier to do at LSU and which recent history has proven it's easier to do at LSU. That's a lot easier to do without Nick Saban there. Uh, that's not to say it's easy. It's not to say Alabama will still be very good. But I, I just think without that kind of, you know, Darth Vader, Death Star, just taking up all the action in the SEC, even with Georgia being on the run they've been on in recent years, it opened things up and flattens the, the hierarchy, if you will, a little bit more in that conference. It seems a little more possible than it did a month ago when he was still there. All right, what, what's the, the best quick explanation for folks who maybe who are not junkies like you and I are for what the states of Virginia and Tennessee are doing in suing the NCAA over, in particular, NIL being a factor in recruiting, and I, I think maybe more importantly, if they're successful in this lawsuit against the NCAA, what does that mean? What's the fallout if they win? And I guess sort of the floodgates are, are truly sort of thrown open here. Yeah, Mark, it, it just feels like delaying the inevitable at this point, yeah. right? I mean, I hate to use the term wild, wild west and sound like one of these coaches who doesn't know what to do with themselves, but it really is year-round free agency. <laughs> Uh, there's not a whole lot of, of quote unquote guardrails. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's, the NCAA has essentially spent the better part of a hundred plus years fighting against the inevitable. And now it's blown up in their face and they don't really seem to have a clue what they're doing. And it does sound like the new president, Charlie Baker's heart is in the right place. And if anyone can find a way to, to kind of thread this needle and figure, figure out a happy medium, it would be him. But, you know, to, to see, Florida State get in trouble a couple weeks ago, right? Alex Atkins, their phenomenal offense coordinator, getting a three-game suspension and a show cause for essentially driving a prospect to meet uh, someone from a collective, which, as far as I understand, is kind of how these things work. You know, it's not right. like a standard operating procedure. Um, that, 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 that seems like making a mountain out of a molehill. It seems like, you know, making an example out of someone just to say, hey, we're still here and we still matter. And it feels a little similar with Tennessee right now, not knowing the specifics of the case. I know Danny White, their athletic director, put out a statement on Twitter today. I know it's not the first time he's uh, made his voice loud and clear on certain issues, whether it's at Tennessee or at UCF before that. But it seems pretty reasonable, right? Like, there are no rules. You're trying to retroactively enforce old rules and, and find a predetermined conclusion to penalize us with. And this is essentially you, the NCAA, trying to say, you know, look, we're, we're not just going to sit by and let people do whatever they want, or we're going to make an example out of you. Now, what happens as far as the lawsuit from Tennessee and Virginia, I'm not sure. I mean, there's so many at this point against the NCAA right now, Mark, it's hard to keep up, and I don't have a law degree, and frankly, I get dragged down and bored by a lot of this, because again, I just think it's delaying the inevitable, right? I mean, whether they're deemed employees or not, certainly we're, we're, we're venturing closer toward a pay-for-play system, whether that's just major revenue sports or just FBS football or just, you know, a select group of, of football programs that 
have the money and resources and, and, and fan bases to essentially go out on their own. Uh, we'll see, but it, it's one of a number of issues now, right? Whether it's the Power 2 conferences, whether it's coaches leaving for the NFL for pay cuts, um, just, just another signal of the ever-changing nature of, of major college football right now. Uh, we're talking with Matt Fortuna here. Uh, Matt, it seems like uh, the ACC, look, it takes a beating annually. We're probably sort of just waiting for Florida State to figure out a way uh, to get out. Uh, but until then, uh, it, as, a, as a league, uh, you're trying to survive in, in what looks like a, you know tilting things towards the Big Ten and the SEC. It does seem like the ACC had a pretty good offseason so far in terms of some rosters really having a good year for next year in the portal should i be at least a little bit encouraged by the fact that louisville did it again uh and that but not just them florida state of course but nc state syracuse some of these schools had a pretty good off season in terms of maybe being able to to give the acc a little bit more quality than it's had the last couple of years yeah i think nc state had a great off season in the portal with miami always has great off seasons right state you want about mario crystal the guy can recruit his tail off and uh they're loading up on talent down there they just got to perform on saturdays Syracuse, you know, I, I was as skeptical as anyone else about the Fran Brown hire, but so far, at least in the offseason with the additions he's made, particularly landing Kyle McCord from Ohio State, a quarterback, I think that's very, very impressive and uh, gives them some momentum. And then we can't forget the newcomers, right? SMU, Cal, and Stanford. Oh, we most certainly uh, can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, SMU is coming off their best season in probably 40 years or so, and that's a program that certainly seems like it is on the rise. So uh, I, I think on the field, it's been a promising offseason for that league so far. We'll see what BC ends up doing, whether they make a splash hire, a quality hire or not. It seems like one of those programs that's forever mired in that six, seven win rut, right? I mean, Jeff Halfley goes full right. eligible three out of four years with still a losing record. I think that's kind of emblematic of kind of the BC mantra the last 20 years or so. But uh, I think it's been more positive than negative, at least as really the on the field happening. We're going to have a lot of schools, Matt, leaving uh, for new conferences. Like, well, July 1st is always like the magic day where everyone officially switches uh, their letterhead and such. Which one of the schools that's moving to a new league uh, this year are you, are you most interested in seeing how it goes? Not who's going to do the best uh, or who's going to do the worst or, or whatever, but you're just like, I don't know. I'm fascinated to see how it goes for X. Uh, USC, and funny enough, with the way those contracts are set up, I believe USC and UCLA don't officially join the Big Ten until August 2nd, uh, which will be interesting because their media days are used, Big Ten's media days are usually yeah. July. I don't know how they're going to figure that out. Uh, but I- I'm most fascinated by USC. Um, when-, when you look at just the-, the history and tradition of that program, uh, you look at, frankly, the terrible season they had last year relative to expectation, and the way Lincoln Riley recruits and plays ball, it's not really conducive to a Big Ten environment. Um, you know, they, their first, they were undefeated somehow uh, halfway through the year, and they got absolutely destroyed by a very physical Notre Dame team. That was good, but not great, in my opinion. They were 10-3 and three last year. You saw them, obviously, lay an egg in Louisville. Uh, it, it, it's, I, I think if you're not from Big Ten country, you might look on paper or look at a random game on Saturday and say, Iowa and Wisconsin, we're not scared of them. Let me tell you, go into Iowa City at night, when it's cold out and you're from the West Coast or even Madison or, or a number of those places, it's not easy. And I think there are going to be a lot of those kinds of trips for USC that it's just going to take some getting used to. I mean, there are a lot of really hard places to play in that conference, regardless of how good or bad program X is during a given year. And you've got a USC team now that's under a lot of pressure. They're losing the likely number one pick in Caleb Williams. 
Uh, they've completely remade that defensive coaching staff. We'll see whether that makes a difference or not. I mean, the, the track record with Lincoln Riley is not good on that side of the ball. At, at some point, they, they need to play complementary football, and they're doing it at a place where they're going to get exposed if they don't do that. Um, the Pac-12 was a great league last year, don't get me wrong, but you know, USC still lost five games in that league last year, and they're going to a Big Ten that's going to be deeper and and have a lot more challenges, particularly on the road where you're going at least 2,000 miles from home for every traditional Big Ten school that you travel to, other than obviously the, the Pac-12 schools you're coming with. All right, last one, I'm going to let you out of here. Who do you think is going to kill it? Like, Who do you think is really just going to thrive in their new environment? Out of uh, schools transferred? Yeah. Um, I'm, fa- I'm very curious about SMU. Just if, if, okay. if Clemson does not find a way back to that elite, elite status, like national championship contender status, I think outside of Florida State, there is room for SMU to, to perhaps make a run there. I mean, again, we saw Louisville do that in year one yeah. under Jeff Brom last year. Obviously, they weren't a new team in the conference, but it was a completely remade roster last year and, and coaching staff. I, I'm very curious to see SMU. And if it doesn't work, I'll also be curious, right? I mean, they're essentially buying their way into the thing with hundreds of millions of dollars. Do you imagine what that conversation is going to be like if they win the ACC in their first couple of years and they go to ACC spring meetings in May and say, hey, Boston College, by the way, we're, we're, we're paying to be in this league and we're kicking your butt every year. What are you doing? Or if you're Florida State, right, and, like, you're the ACC, and you just say, like, this, we'd like to uh, enter this into uh, evidence. This is Exhibit A. Uh, please dismiss this case because almost so much of Florida State's case was being mad about SMU, Cal, and Stanford, right? I, I know, right? And, and hardly a ringing endorsement for those three schools. I mean, I guess, again, spring meetings, there are always some fireworks behind closed doors. I think they're going to be extra spicy uh, this May, assuming they're, they're down in Mille Island again. Oh, yeah, you're right about that. All right, Matt Fortuna, tell folks where they can find your uh, newsletter, how they can sign up for it, because, folks, they tell you it's worth it. You will not regret it. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. I'm at the Inside Zone. That's InsideZoneMF.com. $50 a year, year-round national college football coverage, uh, transfer portal, coaching changes, hot, even a few hot takes, even though I wouldn't say that's my specialization. But certainly there are a lot of pin- opinions flying around with everything going on right now. Uh, you won't regret it, and I appreciate all the support from subscribers so far like yourself, Mark. All right, Matt. We'll talk to you again soon, man. Thank you so much for the time. Have a good one. Thanks, buddy. All right, Matt Fortuna, the Inside Zone is the name of the newsletter. Really is worth it. Matt is, does a great job with um, good background info on kind of the interplay of people and policies and institutions and all that. Really worth it. Really worth it. On top of the, sh- the football. Does a good job uh, there. That would be really funny, though. Of all the outcomes for, for SMU, if SMU had a great year one, uh, in spite of not being paid, uh, and the fact that they were the ones cited, I think, in the lawsuit the Florida State filed against the ACC so often as their addition as being some sort of giant uh, failure of the uh, the conference's leadership. If they do come in and are great, that would be pretty funny. Oh, no. we I know on this show, like you, me, and Dave, we were on, we're like, why SMU? And then they go on and have their best season in years mm-hmm. in football. And, again, I obviously want them to finish less than Louisville in the standings, but – if they were to make the conference towel game in year one, and if it is like SMU versus Florida State, and it's like this new money, it's like you want more money, and it's like we're not getting any money, and they were to somehow dethrone Florida State, that'd be the ultimate chaos scenario. But, I mean, again, like in, like fast forward right now, that's a good move, and I, I do want them to beat Florida State if they play this year. Because I can't remember if all the time I have to do or do not. 
Yeah, that would be that would be awfully funny uh, for that to happen. I, I think the funny uh, like we can construct this right. We can build this. The funniest thing would be SMU beating Florida State next year, given how they gripe about them in the uh, the lawsuit, uh, and any of the Big Ten teams winning the Big Ten next year, the new members, just because they're getting half revenue. Well, Oregon and Washington, excuse me, one of those two. One of those two winning the Big Ten next year would just be wonderful, right? Because then you've got yeah, you know. It would refute the uh, the uh, revenue argument entirely. Here's a school that gets half the revenue of the, these teams in the Big Ten, and it doesn't stop them at all. I don't know how to like power rank these new conference members because like I love the job Dane Lanning did last year, and if Kalen DeBoer was back at Washington, I think they would be a threat. Again, I'm not d- trying to miss Jed Fish. I think he's a good coach too, but I think there's got to be some accountability there. It's like if Kalen DeBoer is there. Washington is maybe a top five team, maybe. Oh, yeah. And without it, maybe they're like still top half of the league, I would still imagine. But those these power conferences, too many good teams at the top that I don't know how to rank them. Like, someone's going to be like seven and five, and it's like this, this is a bad year by these school standards. But it's like, like you, the Penn State effect, where you do everything you can, you just lose to teams that are better than you. Oh, that's uh, that is the reality. Uh, that it, it certainly seems like enough places don't seem to take into account uh, that you know when you have a league that's going to be as big as say the SEC is, just just run through the roster of teams and then ask yourself which one of these schools is going to be okay finishing ninth because someone's going to, but if you like Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. Florida, LSU, Texas A&M. That's six. I didn't name Auburn, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, who was very good last year. Like, one of them is going to go like seven and five, like you said. It's probably Florida if I had Ole Miss, on that list. Just because I'm, well, I'm not so Napier whatsoever. Well, no, of course not. I'm not, I'm not uh, either. <laughs> but, like, one of them is going to be mid a lot. Several of them are going to be mid a lot. Now, I think the thing that will be fascinating to see is what's the general reaction when it's like different teams all the time? Because I think that the it's the constancy that we're going to grow in our appreciation for Nick Saban over time is the fact that they were always good. Not good a lot. Always. They were never a bad team. They were never an all right team. They were always, every single year, Every, almost every single game, one of the best teams in the country, and it's just it's impossible to think that they're just going to keep that up. Yeah. I mean, so, so at, what will people's perceptions? Oh, sorry, of the, the SEC be when Alabama has some nine and three years sometimes? I mean, yeah, I was going to say like Auburn and LSU, they basically had to have like lightning strike a couple times just to get a chance to compete for a national championship to win a national championship because Alabama was just far and away better than everyone else there. And again, I love, like, I mean, even Matt Fortuna is like, I love the DeBoer hire, but also like where, like if they're 10 and two this year, tremendous season, but not by the Alabama standards and definitely not by even Caitlin DeBoer, who was, you know, playing for a national championship at 13, 14 and one this past year. You're, you're a hundred percent right uh, about that. So, all right, let's go ahead and take our last break here. We will come back. We'll open up the, the phones, let you guys jump in here. Before we wrap this one up here on the drive on I Thunder Bill. Be right back. Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. We're in this together. 
with Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling. You're listening to The Drive, presented by Fitness Market, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Now, here's Mark Ennis. Welcome back into The Drive here on 93.9 The Ville. Mark Ennis here on a Thursday. If you want to give us a call, you can. 8150-939-3831-939 for the UPS Jobs text line. If you want to hit us up uh, that way, you are welcome to do so as well uh spencer what is your gut reaction to alex van pelt as your offensive coordinator whatever <laughs> like i i don't know anything <laughs> about this guy like he was never one of the names that was kind of reported as interviewing i was hoping to be kind of like nick cayley because you know he was in new england at one point and i was on the mcveigh staff last year bringing that you know kind of mcveigh shanahan-esque offense to new england that's kind of the name I wanted, but I, whatever. Like, he was in Cleveland. They were fine. He got a lot out of Joe Flacco in the year. So be it. Like, it is what it is. I'll, I'll, hopefully, he's better than O'Brien was last year. And I loved the O'Brien hire when it happened at the time. And it just flamed out. It hasn't been great, uh, for sure. And, this, man, there's just really nothing worse uh, than watching a team that's just sort of consistently not that great on offense. Uh, I mean, it's really hard watching. Yeah, in terms of NFL uh, football, it just seems to me like you'd if you're a Patriots fan and you're making this change, you if you're going to go ahead and move on from Bill Belichick, like let's move on, and it seems like they're just sort of moving over a little bit and not moving on entirely. Yeah, like I again, Gerard Bay was the succession plan, but like the front office is still roughly intact. There's no official GM name. But it's basically everyone that was there under Bill. A lot of the coaching staff, they promote the D.C. from within. Because Gerard Mayo, that was one of the points he wanted to make was, we're going to have official titles for these guys there. Um, but, like, so reportedly, you know, Bel- Belichick's sons are still on staff. Like, they're getting the opportunity now that their dad's not a head coach anymore and there's no openings. Maybe you see his son staying on staff, which that's an interesting dynamic there, I think. It's really weird. They're like, hey, it was all on Bill Belichick. Get him out of New England. Get him out of the the, the building, and we'll be better. Like, I don't buy that thinking necessarily, but that seems to be what the Crafts are doing right now. All right, then I, I desperately want to know what you think uh, about this story. John Breach posted this, excuse me, on CBS a little bit earlier today. Tom Brady Sr., uh, says that he talked to Robert Kraft at the beginning of the season back in September and that Robert Kraft told him this. Uh, it, the article says, During the Patriots' season opener back in September, Kraft apparently had a conversation with Tom Brady Sr. 
where the uh, the owner admitted that New England definitely made the wrong decision in 2020 when they let Brady leave. Here's the quote. Tom Brady Sr. says, He just said, I made a mistake. He told us that back in September. Brady Sr. told uh, the Boston Globe, I guess. Uh, he said, uh, I made a mistake. We don't, uh, we don't make all the right decisions, but he's made a hell of a lot of good ones over the years. But I know that it galls him that Tommy went somewhere else and won. And not that he won, but that he won after Belichick said he was done. So this is Brady Sr. saying Belichick said Brady was done. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, no, I, I saw a little bit of like some of the breadcrumbs of that quote. In like the other quote was Bill had told me he couldn't play anymore, and then he goes out and wins the F in Super Bowl. Kraft reportedly said back in twenty twenty one too. So yeah, it, no, it's I, it, you maybe maybe the fact that Belichick was that badly wrong about what Brady had left in the tank is part of the reason he's not so popular right now. Yeah, like I get like if you thought like he was diminished goods at that point, it was like. It might serve us best because, you know, the Belichick mantra was always year two soon versus a year too late on guys. Yeah. Although, you know, lately, like McCourty and uh, Slater, they stayed around to the very end. You know, I think they had a little bit left in the tank, but, you know, those guys just definitely could have been gone. They were for Patriots in their entire career. But the Belichick and Brady dynamic, and I'm fascinated to see that documentary that comes out on Apple in like two weeks now, I think, um, just see how much they actually – Vol- like divulged in the documentary because I'm assuming when they filmed all this, Belichick was still employed because they, they announced it before his uh, departure. So, assuming all the footage is there, I mean, sure, maybe his epilogue was like, and Bell Belichick left the Patriots in 2024, like whatever. But yeah, like to say that he was done and had nothing left in the tank, that simply wasn't even true even that year. Like he was diminished and I was, you know, he unlocked a new level. In New England, that his last or in Tampa Bay, that his last year in New England did not show. But I still, I never thought he was, you know, done after that. I thought he was going to be a fine quarterback in Tampa Bay. I didn't think they win the Super Bowl year one, at least when they initially signed it. When the playoffs came around, I was like, yeah, Brady's going to win the Super Bowl this year. I was, you know, I thought when he went to Tampa Bay that it, they had a, they would be much better. He would take better care of the ball, and I thought that they would be a playoff team. I just did. I, you know, and for the first half of the year, it didn't look like they were going to beat the hell out of Kansas City in the Super Bowl. So it went far better than I ever could have. Uh, they were a wild card team, which is yes, what... they were. They played every playoff game on the road. Yeah, like except for the Super Bowl, technically. Right. Well, technically, this was games. a neutral game, but yeah, no, there was one that I looked at. I was like, yeah, it'll be a wild card team this year. And like, I, I mean, you remember this probably? The Saints beat the hell out of them in the regular season, and then come playoff time, it's like, yeah, Drew Brees has nothing left. We're gonna beat them, and you know, we're gonna. Beat Aaron Rodgers in his place, and then Kansas City, their whole line's banged up. Like that was, again, my turn to mention. You still won the Super Bowl. You take that every year, every time you get a chance. So I was happy when Brady won it. Obviously, I just wish he had stuck around. And yeah, I think Kraft is definitely still bitter that, like Tommy was his guy. And he's like, we let him get out of here, and he wins right away. This is gonna. This might sound crazy, but like all of this being the case. I don't think Belichick's going to get another job. It, it definitely seems that way. Like next year, like if Pete Carroll, he should not have been fired. I don't think. And, I agree. And I'm think this year is just taking a year off. And I know he's older than Belichick. I think Pete Carroll, if you had to choose between those two of them, 
you definitely are taking Pete Carroll more so than Belichick, just given the recent history. Not the nostalgia aspect of Belichick, necessarily. Plus, it it just seems like it's a lot more pleasant to be around Pete Carroll than Bill Belichick. Yeah, he's shooting gum the entire time and has a personality. He just seems like a... He lifted to me. Pete, I don't know. This is stupid, but like he just seems lifted right out of the 1920s. I don't know what it is about him. Like he just seemed like like that. I don't know why. I can just see him in pinstripes. I guess I don't know what it is. He just sort of this yeah. uh, happy, energetic guy. I don't know what it is. What was the view of Pete Carroll like in the 90s when he's like the Patriots head coach? Then kind of gets fired despite being like middle of the road, and then they get Belichick, and then he goes back to college. Was he no viewed no. as this kind of prestigious guy? No, no one, I can tell you for sure, no one had opinions about Pete Carroll at all prior to USC. I promise you. Uh, Very few people thought about him at all. It was USC hired a former NFL guy. Okay, we'll see. It wasn't until they obviously set the world on fire uh, at USC that his stock as a coach went way up. And even when he went to Seattle, the initial reaction wasn't like, ah, the Seahawks, that's shrewd. It was, he's getting out of town ahead of the posse. Because the NCAA was coming to town. Like, that's what. Kind of like the hardball really, stuff right now. Yes, that's exactly what people thought. Although, people clearly, I think, think more highly of Harbaugh as an NFL coach than they did about Pete Carroll. That, that's true. Because, I mean, obviously, Pete's first tenure yeah. in the NFL didn't really go that well. And, like, Harbaugh was setting the world on fire right there. And he was just because Trent Balky, who's now the Jaguars GM, they just butted heads about everything. But, it, yeah, it's weird. Like, looking back, like, as a Patriots fan, like obviously the Pete Carroll days, that was before I was born, but it didn't go that well. And now it's like Pete Carroll might get a job next year. And like I hate it for Belichick because he obviously went the wins record. And Andy Reid, if he sticks around for like another six years, which who knows where he stands if he wants to retire early. Like if you got Mahomes, like, and they just keep winning like 11, 12 games a year minimum. Piles up. Yeah. Like Andy Reid could one day go down as the winningest coach in NFL history, which, I mean, again, the extra game factors in a little bit too, but Belichick's done a few years with the extra 17 game and didn't do much with anything. Meanwhile, it does not make me happy to report that the Ravens have uh, promoted from within, uh, or is the, the man's last name <clears throat> as their new defensive coordinator. Spencer, he is 31 years old. That's doesn't even seem possible to be. That is depressing. To like, me. what was Lane Kiff when he took the Raiders job? Like 31, 30? Oh, he was v- extremely young. Yeah, absolutely. Like I know even like Sean McVay too when he was like early thirties, like thirty two when he took the Rams job the first time. I say the first time, like he was the youngest coach in the league for like six years, <laughs> and then now you have two coaches younger than him with McDonald and Gerard Mayo. Oh, Gerard Mayo was the youngest coach in the league for like a week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, for sure. Uh, I I will say I'm going to get out ahead of my normal sort of uh, whatever about Jim Harbaugh. I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to do extremely well in the NFL. It wouldn't shock me if they if they make the Super Bowl at some point. Whatever you think about him as a weirdo, he's a great coach. Just like it's inarguable at this point. Yeah, the only hire like this cycle, and it's not necessarily more with the candidate himself that I just scratch my head about, is the Panthers hire with Canales. Is because it's like. You had to work for Tepper, and they promoted from within for GM, and the previous GM wasn't even that good of a GM. So I think it's not necessarily his fault, but I think that job, like he's going to pile up losses because I think the situation to clear Carolina is so dysfunctional. I agree. I, I that's uh, their ownership 
is the uh, the proverbial too much of a good thing. You know, you want your owner to care, and you want your owner to be reckless with money, but not too much. And instead, uh, they've got the uh, schmuckiest kind of hothead in the NFL uh, who thinks that if you want something hard enough and have endless amounts of money, which he does, you should be able to have it right now. And also thinks he's <laughs> smarter than everybody else. What you want is uh, a an owner who loves to be famous but doesn't care if anyone thinks he's smart. That's what you want. That dude who just wants them to be win and doesn't really want to have to do anything to make it happen. That's the dream. Just sign the checks. Exactly. Like yeah, just yeah, sign the checks. Don't meddle in business. And like again, go back to the Patriots like that. Don't be the story. Yeah. Like this will be the Patriots so successful forever was like Kraft was outside of like a few decisions like the Jimmy G stuff. And like I know he's trying to push to keep Brady to a degree, but he's like I trust uh, you know, Belichick, and it worked for 20 years. So you take that every day. Like Jerry Jones is the ultimate example the other way where yep. constantly, metal, yeah, constantly meddling. And, I mean, yeah, it worked in the 90s, Jerry, but since then you've got next to nothing to show for it. Yeah, Jerry Jones is all obviously the, uh, the the ultimate sort of counterexample. It's sort of like boards of trustees. Like you really would just like to not even know who they are. Uh, and not know much about them. And usually, if a fan base has strong feelings about their owner, it's because they suck. And I will agree with you uh, about Robert Kraft. In all of the years of him owning that team, outside of what you mentioned, where he, you know, sort of leaned on the scale and they kept Brady when he would have been when they were going to try to move on from him before. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard him talk about a football decision ever. Yeah, like there was maybe the the floating around of like, hey, Meek Mills, tell me Lamar Jackson's interested in the owners. Be he's like, what the? Why the hell is this out there now? But yeah, how, how disappointed. By the way, just like imagine poor Lamar trying to play for for Belichick. Oh, that I just feel like that would not go well at all. Uh, I I think it could work. Uh, I don't know the Bill O'Brien offensive coordinator that may or may not have factored, but he worked with Greg Roman for all those years. That's so, true. Uh, I mean. I think it would have worked out, just given how talented Lamar is. And I think, you know, Mac was part of the problem, but also Belichick's stubbornness, you know, was the downfall at the very end, too. Sure. No, I, I think you're you're 100% right. Uh, and, it, look, it would be a shame, you know, if he doesn't – if he wants to and is still capable of, uh, he isn't able to coach again. But one thing, I, uh, Spencer, that, that came through loud and clear when I read that, you know, it's better to be feared book, which, which I – keep recommending to everybody because it's wonderful. The rest of the league hates them. They do. They rest of the league, uh, in terms of like the leadership, the ownership groups, like they hate them. They feel like they got away with a lot uh, during that tenure. It, it wouldn't shock me at all if a bunch of owners are like, I'm trying to hire this guy now. Yeah, like I think Belichick, especially like defense to sell the ball, like I think he's still got a fastball. Like our defense was really good and we had battled a lot of injuries this past year. That again, I don't think Belichick would ever go back to being a defensive coordinator at his age, but like he can call a play, call defense really well. The offensive stuff, you know, get a good coordinator in there and get some guys that can play. It's different, but yeah, I mean, obviously when you're winning, the league hates you. Like the Kansas City Chiefs are finding that out now. Like there was the uh, the graphic, like who's everyone rooting for this game? It's like the Patriots, Chiefs, one in eighteen, and it's like everyone's going for the Chiefs except for New England. And now it's like everyone hates the Chiefs because they keep winning. 
Same with the Warriors. Like the first run for the Warriors, we loved them. We're Super like, fun. Yeah, yep. new kids on the block kind of deal. And it's like, oh, you beat LeBron James, who we all kind of despise because of the Heat stuff, even though he's back in Cleveland now. Yeah, go for it. Then you add Ken Durant. It's like, okay, F you. Like, get out of here. Like, it's not fun anymore for anyone. 81-50-93-9. That's the number if you want to try to slide in here. You can. A couple of other texts uh, in here. It says, after that trade, Bill tanked the team, didn't draft any wide receivers for Tom. What do you think about that? I mean, they drafted Nikhil Harry and Trey for Sanu, but both were bums, and they didn't They didn't work draft out. any good ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they definitely tried it. Gosh, the Sinutra was a like second-round pick. And I was like, I don't know who the pick ended up being for the Falcons, but I was like, why? Like, this guy was fine, but it was not worth the second-round pick. And I, I'll tell myself a little bit. When they kill Harry because of how bad his rookie year was, and then the next year Ayuk goes to the 49ers, I was like, that guy's not going to work out because he's from the Arizona State. And I just was, like, trying to be, like, anti-Arizona State receivers and, like, Herm Edwards and, like, whatever was going on there. And Ayuk's a beast. And I was like, damn it, we drafted the wrong guy. And I see the list constantly. It's like Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, insert other receiver here that was drafted after Nikhil Harry. That's one of the haunt, most haunting decisions right now is we drafted Nikhil Harry over all these all-pro guys. And his teammate was one of the best receivers the next year. We really should at some point maybe have Belichick examined, though, because he wanted to he thought Brady was done and then Brady had two more years and have like close to what 9,000 more passing yards in a Super Bowl <laughs> very pass heavy offense in Tampa uh, after that uh, right exactly not only was he better there like they went crazy uh there in terms of using him and and all that sort of thing but he several years prior was like Brady's done let's move on one for Jimmy G who sucks I don't care what anybody says and how many more Super Bowls did they go to after that? Like three? Yeah, they did. They kept going every year. It's like, I mean, there was a quote the last year in New England where Brady's like, I'm the most miserable, like, 10-0 or whatever it was, quarterback of, in the league. It's like, like, it was, the reports were out there, and I, I tried to deny it at that time with Brady. I was like, no, Brady's never going anywhere else, and that's where I was at that time. Whereas Belichick this year, I was like, yeah, I, I see the writing on the wall here. He's definitely not going to be in New England next year. But, like, Brady, I just didn't want to believe he was going to play anywhere else. And, like, the day he announced he was leaving, that, you know, devastated me at that time because it was the first, like, real, uh, like, moment where I was like, the Patriots may not be good next year. It's like, we oh, no. I know. Because I know you've dealt with that every year for Yes, uh, you get years. dead to it after a while. Yeah, it's like Louisville basketball now. It's like, oh, we're playing again. Oh, we lost again. Now the losses just pile up and it means nothing anymore. And I'm just watching YouTube highlights. Oh, buddy, you can get used to that, too. I watched the uh, <laughs> the Bucks beat the Raiders for a long time, man. Dexter Jackson. Oh, it was a great game. Great game. There's a, my favorite uh, part of that entire thing is the capturing the sideline conversation between uh, Joey Porter, remember him, and Jerry Rice on the sidelines, and they're talking about how they can't get anything going offensively. And he's like, yeah, they can stop the pass, but let's see, let's see what the, he said. Let's see what them guts look like. Let's try to run the ball. And I was like, the Bucks have them so shook that two wide receivers are like, we should run the ball. So are you like obviously the recent stuff with Gruden came out and like he's despicable as a human being, but I mean, he's from Tampa. I know you mentioned like Jay Gruden, and John Gruden went to your high school. Like, did that was that like a special moment because he you know came back home and led the Bucks to serve well for you? Yeah, it was at the time, for sure. And we didn't know none of that, you know, uh, 
about how John Gruden really feels about those people. Uh, I didn't know that at the moment. Yes, it was extremely. Uh, it, it felt the whole thing was uh, extremely exciting uh, because it was in particular. It came right on the heels of Tony Dungy, who was classy. Uh, the the franchise unquestionably needed a giant dose of professionalism uh, while also being competitive. And Tony Dungy was that. They needed that. He was dignified. He demanded kind of an uprightness out of everybody. Uh, and they didn't have problems. Uh, but he they was also seen as a, just the tiniest bit not crazy enough. You know, didn't have that uh, maniacal edge to him. Uh, and it really was right until it wasn't, you know, with him uh, in, in Indianapolis. And Gruden was seen as coming in with just kind of a, just enough of that craziness to push that over the goal line, which is exactly what happened. And then he couldn't build nothing himself. <laughs> 8150939. That's uh, the number if you want uh, to jump in here. Uh, you're welcome to do so. Uh, just about done here. Don't uh, forget, we, well, we got uh, Louisville and Syracuse on the women's side uh, tonight. That should be uh, a real challenge uh, for this team. Uh, so keep it here. Uh, you'll be able to listen uh, to that one. That You heard Jeff Walls uh, yesterday. I heard that he was on uh, with Diener uh, again uh, this morning, which we love uh, about Coach Walls. But it's the AC. It's funny. The, the two programs have got. Utterly opposite schedules uh, here to end the season. These last several weeks of the regular season, the uh, the women ramping way up. Uh, the competition in the second half of this conference schedule in the ACC is going to be awesome. And on the men's side, uh, Louisville, I think, is trudging through the most difficult part of it now. And then uh, probably, you know, sort of once it's too late, they've got a chance to, to play a bunch of teams that probably would have helped maybe a little bit earlier in the year. Yeah, it's definitely the unfortunate thing for – but, I mean, did you, I'm – I can't remember what days, you know, with me being out, the days just kind of, you know, blend together. Sure. But, like, Damon Stoudemire getting a win against UNC and Duke yeah. in year one or year zero, if you're using Kenny Payne's scale, I'm sorry. But, like, gosh, I, I like Damon because he was with the Celtics last year, and I'm happy to see him having, you know, moderate success by Georgia Tech standards and, you know, inheriting a new program and everything going on with the year one. But, like, that guy has it rolling. And, like, next year when he gets, you know – the first, I don't want to say really, but the first year where he gets, you know, his guys and he gets to recruit and, you know, actually understands college basketball again, that team is going to be dangerous. And it sucks that we're behind Georgia Tech basketball right now. Yeah, no, I, I think the, uh, the Stoudemire, like that's the sort of thing that just sort of, if anyone that had remotely sympathetic kind of leanings uh, is going to look at that and say, like, there's just no excuse for things going the way that they've gone here. Uh, there's nothing about Georgia Tech that, that says they should be able to do those things right away, uh, and yet here they are immediately uh, a whole lot better. Uh, and and that's what and not perfect. By the way, that is not the team is not perfect, but that's exactly how uh, when you when you've nailed it, when you've found the right one, that's how year one should typically go. Some some reminders of where you've started a lot of in between but then a few moments where it's like let's fast forward to what the future could look like only we're gonna let you have it tonight and louisville had some of that with chris mack but it ultimately didn't work out but that's what you should get from your your year one coach uh is is all of that in year one and then you start putting it in your in your past and of course we haven't had any of that uh, under kenny and that's why this is almost assuredly going to be uh, a two-year tenure, and that is it. All right, that is going to do it for us. 
Appreciate all of you guys listening in here. You've been listening to The Drive on Nintendo. See you.